0: We're a little small today, post-Christmas concert, and you to the traffic, uh, but we are mighty. We gotta get our energy up. Um, I, uh, I was uh, walking, my, uh, walking my dog through uh, my neighborhood this week, and some kids were out on our little uh, incline uh, skateboarding, and one of them did a trick, and the other one said, that's sick, you know? So just turn to somebody next to you and say, "Ah, oh, you're sick. Go ahead, It's just sick. just sick man it's like the the lingo of the kids baby it's the lingo of the kids uh we're all sick here today uh and uh it's a it's a good word that uh it happens several times a generation somebody will take a word that means something bad and turn it into something good or or or, uh or vice versa so uh you know, intention and context matters so much in language, um, doesn't it? And uh, I've been uh, thinking about this sort of bad slash good concept uh, with respect to uh, uh, Christmas uh, this year uh, because there's so much in the story that's really good and really comforting and simultaneously kind of sobering and, and discouraging, particularly if you think about what Christmas was like for the people who lived it out. Uh, in those uh, original days. So here's a warm-up question to kind of get us in the mood, uh, sort of constructive mood uh, for the sermon. Last week I asked everybody, "What do you love most about Christmas?" You remember that? They'll be here last week, and I got some good answers like joy, anticipation. Mike said even a larger screen TV. That was his answer. Uh, so uh, this week the question is the opposite one: What bugs you? Most about Christmas? What bugs you most about Christmas? I want to give you eight seconds to think about it and be brilliant. What bugs you most about Christmas? All right, yes, there's a beautiful Chinese lady in the back waving her hands at me anxiously. Oh, God, it only comes once a year, that's <laughs> short. That's kind of exactly not the spirit of the question. Radio stations bug you. Christmas radio stations. You mean the incessant droning play of Christmas music? Yes. Can't change it, Jason? You can't they're all they're all they're all playing the same music. All right. Uh joining Christmas, yeah, Jen. The high pace and the busyness of it, yeah, as evidenced by uh, the uh, number of empty seats this morning. We had this huge Christmas concert. Some of us were there early in the morning uh, yesterday and went all the way till late last night cleaning up. And then you have to get up and you got to go to church and listen to Jordan just drone on and on. and, (laughs) And it's just, man, Christmas, it just grinds you down. And it's only the 10th, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, Beth. Peppermint. Peppermint is the thing that bugs you. Yeah, I didn't see that one coming. Mike, now, dude, last week you really let us down. What bugs you most about Christmas? Having to force yourself to feel happy around others. Having to force yourself to feel happy around other people. All right, that's that's a good answer. You're like Babe Ruth, you either hit a home run or you strike out. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good answer. Yeah, it's like, because the mood is supposed to be a certain way. And what if you don't match that mood? Yeah, Susie. Spending. 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 All right, spending bothers you about uh, Christmas. Uh, Brent Brent and Jill are in town. Yeah. Uh, former Blue Water, Some of you veterans will know them. Do you know why they're in town? It's because this is their 10th anniversary. I didn't see them last night at the concert, but if I had, I would have called them out because... It's one of our best Christmas, Blue Water Christmas concert stories. We did a surprise wedding for them in the middle of the Blue Water Christmas, story, ten, uh, Christmas concert 10 years ago. And they came back on their 10th anniversary to go to the concert and celebrate their wedding anniversary. Just great people uh, live in Texas now. Anyway, with that prelude, your answer, sir. Literal little elves that you hide around the house, on the shelves. They have a daughter named Piper, and evidently they put out elves all over the house, and it's like an elf hunt in your house, mischievous elves. Oh, you know, guys, you kind of set yourself up for that one. That's just like the elf tradition. Interesting, but little traditions that can kind of get out of hand, right? We can all appreciate that. There's a hand over here. No. Oh, things are getting too PC, too politically correct. Like you can't even talk about Christ at Christmas. And there's sort of tension there depending on where you are. Yeah, that's interesting. All right, Johnny's got the best one. What you got? Jesus wasn't born in December. Jesus wasn't born in December. Yeah, this is true. This is true. The shepherd were out in the fields tending their flocks, right? Which means it was probably springtime. He was probably born in April like all the greats. Um, (laughs) At. Okay, uh, great answers. Uh, uh, nobody said anything to do with the Christmas story, actually. I mean, there's like a detail, a misapplication of the holiday, but there's just a lot of facts in the story uh, that, that really uh, bug me because there's joy in the story, but there's a lot of freaking out in the Christmas story, a lot of poverty, a lot of oppression. And a lot of challenge, and it seems to me when I read the Christmas story, uh, which I do uh, only once a year, Sonia, do I read the Christmas story? Um, it seems to me that God pushes things unnecessarily uh, far, but it also seems to me that that's why the story works so well in uh, in the course of humanity. I mean, the Christmas story is the world's most beloved story. I think, like everybody, would agree on that. Uh, in terms of popularity and devotion uh, around the world. It's the most beloved story, not because it's a story of victory, but because it's a story of victory and it's not a story of victory, right? It's because it has both in it. It's like the coming of the Messiah, but in like this really uh, shocking way. It's a comforting story. Little babies are so comforting, are they not? Uh, But this little baby had such a struggle and travail when he came uh, into the world. No place for him to live in a time of political oppression and unfair taxation and displacement and like all of these other things are going on. So we take comfort in it but we also reflect on the grittiness and challenge of the world simultaneously uh, in the story. Um, It's a story that won't leave you alone. You know what I mean by that? Uh, The Christmas story is super powerful because it's haunting, you know? It's not just the story about the birth of a promised child. There's like so many other details that grab your attention and that tug on your heart, right? It's sweet, but it's also bittersweet, all of these crazy things. Uh, are going on, and that's why it's powerful. And I think that that's probably why God did it the way that He did, because if it's just a matter of kind of injecting a Messiah into the world, presumably God could have done it any way He wanted. You know, I mean, He's the guy that sets the rules, He's the guy that makes the qualifications. Uh, as it is, it's really fun to read through the Christmas story, uh, which I did recently because I'm kind of a geek, and count all the times in which angels have to say, Don't freak out. You know, and they're constantly showing up with Mary. Hey, Mary, uh, don't freak out. I'm an angel. Also, you're pregnant. Don't freak out. It's fine. You know, and then she has to go, the angel has to go to Joseph and basically go through the same routine. And then it's like, oh, by the way, Herod's trying to kill you. Don't freak out. You're going to go live in a foreign country. Don't freak out. Uh, Then you're going to go home, but you can't go to your real home. You're going to go to a different home. Galilee, fulfill the prophecies. Don't freak out. And on and on and so forth. The angels appear to the shepherds as a host, which is a military battalion uh, in the sky. And they're like, hey, don't freak out. Um, All the people that encountered the shepherds on the road as they came back must have been uh, a little uh, freaked out. Um, I think Christmas, the Christmas story works really well for anyone who's asked one of those uh, common life questions. Why does God's plan have to look like this? Why? Why does God's plan have to look so weak and uh, and shameful? Um, do you think the Christmas story is shameful? I thought about it. I mean, weak, challenging, but but shameful. So let's just read from Matthew one. We'll take a little stretch of the Christmas story this morning. This will be our meditation. Matthew one. Uh, First chapter in the Gospels is there presented. Uh, It's about the birth of Christ, of course. We'll read verses 18 through 25. You can read along in your Bibles. You can follow along on the big board behind me. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child. Don't freak out. Through the Holy Spirit. What? How does that work? Don't freak out. You want a really interesting conversation, ask a Muslim how that works. As this is a a big deal of anti-Christian apologetics. So she miraculously conceived a child. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. And this tells you a lot about who Joseph was. He was a nice guy, it's like he's, he's this is going to be an arranged marriage with this young woman, Mary, who was probably a teenager, maybe 14 years old, something like that, 14 fifteen turns out she's pregnant, so he could have he could have gone ape, he could have demanded restitution from her family and stuff like that instead he's like, "Well look, we'll just send you away to the countryside and you'll have your baby quietly, no reputational debt. We'll just say it didn't work out for whatever reason So he's trying to do nice and to divorce her quietly, even though they weren't married yet they were. De- betrothed in that culture that was pretty much being married but after he had considered this an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said Joseph son of David do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit that's such a great line what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit you could take that so many ways she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins jesus is a greek form of the hebrew word yeshua which literally means god saves all this took place to fulfill what the lord had said through the prophet the virgin will be with child and he will give birth to a son uh, and and She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And that's a quote from uh, the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, written 700 years before this story happened. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name uh, Jesus. So there's a lot of potential freak-out moments there, Uh, The angel has to intervene and explain things to Joseph because he must have been knocked for a loop, man, Uh, let alone uh, Mary. Um. This virgin birth thing, what do you think about that? Weird. Uh, And... It's one of those things you always want to say, well, why? I mean, why did God do it like this? Now, there's a theological answer for those of you who've had theological training, which is like, well, God wanted to interrupt um, you know, the seed of Adam because we inherit our sinful nature from our bloodline. And so God needed to intervene in the bloodline, so the Holy Spirit made this child happen rather than a human father. That's kind of the idea. Uh, and there's some literature late in the in the New Testament about that, sort of a meditation on that. But again, God could have done it any way he wanted to. I mean, he could have made a child out of a rock, right? Could have made a child out of some dirt and breath. He'd done it before. Um, so uh, this is interesting. Uh, do you guys know who the comedian Lewis Black is? He's, uh, he's quite famous. He's, I don't know how old he's in his 60s now. But he's always angry, that's kind of his shtick and he has a a famous bit about Christmas, and he's angry about Christmas. You know, he's telling you what bugs him about Christmas. And one thing that bugs him about Christmas is, as he puts it in his uh, comedy special, his Christmas comedy special, he says, the entire holiday is the outcome of one teenage girl who just stuck to her story. Right? The idea that some teenage girl got knocked up and then she was like, oh, it's from god and everybody was like oh yes of course and then a religion was born that's his theory that's his theory um which is ludicrous but it just kind of goes to show you that even today it's quite mockable it's just weird you know that it happened this way and uh and so it's quite comforting to know that 700 years before the birth of christ the prophet Isaiah predicted it. He's in Isaiah chapter seven. He's talking about the coming Messiah, and he says, "And this will be a sign to you: the virgin will be with the child," which which doesn't happen every day. Uh, and so, when uh, Mary became uh, pregnant uh, as as a as a virgin, you know, it's nice to know that God had planned it all along. For whatever reason, He felt that this was necessary in the unfolding uh, of the story. So it was a very legit illegitimacy. Um, it didn't feel legit, probably, to the people participating. Mary and Joseph were freaked out. Uh, Joseph, uh, really great guy, evidently, he rolled with it. It would have been humiliating to him uh, at first. The angel helped him sort it out. Um, but this was probably a stigma on their family for the rest of their lives. Um, in Mark 6, Uh, when Jesus goes back to his hometown and he can do no miracles there. Do you remember that story? He did miracles all over the place. He goes to his hometown and he can do no miracles. And the town folks say of him, as recorded in Mark 6, is this not the son of Mary? Which in that culture would have been insulting because you were named after your dad. He was Yeshua bar Joseph. Uh, But they said, no, no, he's Yeshua bar Mary. Hint, hint, hint. Right? She got knocked up by some other guy that we don't know about. And so it says Jesus was astonished at their lack of faith. He couldn't do any miracles in that crowd because they just thought he was a bastard kid. You know, and that's how he grew up. And that's how his family grew up. So they were probably really low on the social uh, totem pole. So Christ's family was poor. We know that. They were politically oppressed because they were occupied by the Romans. Uh, we know that. Uh, they were displaced because they had to move around because Herod was trying to kill them. They had spent some time in Egypt, which probably completely impoverished them. Uh, and uh, probably when Jesus came back, after growing up in Egypt, he spoke with a poor accent. He had to you know, relearn. and like completely displaced people. And on top of that, on top of all of that, the stigma of shame was upon them. So that bugs me a lot. It bugs me to think that this is the way that the Lord generated the Savior story uh, for for the earth. All the angels showing up in the Christmas story as well as, you know, 700-year-old prophecies and stuff like that indicates to me that this Lord, this child Lord, was very strong, was very special. And all the details indicate to me that this child Lord was not in a position to lord it over anyone, you know. And that's really fundamental to the God story, the story of God and, and humanity. You see the same thing in Good Friday, or even Easter, at the end of Jesus's life, after growing up in shame and all of this oppression and displacement, you know, he gets killed on a cross, and sort of humiliated and stripped naked and hung on a, on a pole and then uh, bled out and suffocated for all to see while people around mocked him. And if you thought, well, yeah, this is the Lord, uh, you would say to yourself, but if that's the Lord, this Lord isn't interested in lording it over anyone. This is a very unique Lord. And even Easter Sunday, which is the great triumph of the Christian faith, he came back to life, revealed himself first to uh, a bunch of dubious women who would not have been reliable testifiers in that culture, in that day and age. Uh, but then sort of downplayed it and kept it secret. He appeared to about 500 people and instead of leading the movement forward himself, he disappeared and left it to everyone else whose word you just had to take for it. Right? Great story. Could have been so much easier. (laughs) It could have been so much easier. Um... uh, We have the kind of Lord, this Christ, whom people can say was a made-up figment of the desperate story of a teenage girl who got knocked up. You can actually say that about Jesus. And evidently, God is okay with it, because he's the one who set it up. You can dismiss him out of hand. You can call him a fake. It's pretty easy to call Jesus fake. you know, it's it's quite popular. It's increasingly popular in our country um, to to say that actually atheism is on the rise. It's pretty easy to just gloss over uh, the Jesus uh, story, much ado about nothing, unless you actually think it through, and then it becomes amazing because who would have ever faked a story like this? You know, the guys who started this movement, all of his followers. Like, almost all of them gave their lives for it. They got executed. They died in humiliating, brutal fashion, just like Jesus did. So evidently, they believe it was true, and their sacrifices are the only reason that we're celebrating the Christmas story uh, today. Who would fake this story? I mean, you know how easy it would have been to just bury the details of Jesus' birth in history? How many other great figures do you have birth details for? in history, right? I mean, there was no internet, right? There was no way to look these things up. If Jesus would have wanted to start a Messiah religion, nobody outside of a tiny, tiny town in Podunk, Galilee would have known anyway. But instead, his followers have made great effort to record it in detail and to celebrate it through the ages. Like, nobody fakes this stuff, right? It is entirely true to reality this shame, you know, this humiliation. There's no other faith system like Christianity that has at its core shameful birth stories and humiliating death stories of its Lord. That is completely uh, unique uh, to us. And it starts with Christmas itself, you know. It haunts Christianity. Paul says his strength is made perfect in weakness. We hold these treasures in jars of clay. He says to the Corinthians, consider before you were Christians, not many of you were strong, not many of you were wise, not many of you were of noble birth. Right, that's a good sermon to preach to a church, by the way. You guys kind of suck, but I'm happy that you're here. That kind of sounds like something I'd say, actually, doesn't it? Yeah, 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 I say that all the time. We start every Ohana group that way. Oh, I see you showed up again. i going to stop feeding you people. Um, but but I, think it's, I think it's true. You know, like Christianity as a movement has progressed through history largely through small, weak, anonymous people who just keep going, uh, creating little nuggets of beauty and meaning along the way. You know, like we did last night at the Christmas concert. The whole story, the whole shebang is designed to be unimpressively impressive. You know, a lot like us. Turn to people around you and say, unimpressively impressive. That's a nice way to put it. Wh- which is a little bit better than impressively unimpressive when you think about it, right? Unimpressively impressive. All right. Well, if if all that is true, uh, then um, one thing about celebrating Christmas is that it calls you to set aside your freakouts. It calls you to set aside, at least in this season, all the things that might freak you out, all the things that bug you about Christmas. Right? They are supposed to bug you, and then you're supposed to set them aside and celebrate anyway. Are all the things that are bugging you about life right now. How many of you are in a period of life where you could potentially just freak out about things? Anything going on? Go ahead. Be proud. Be Christian about it. It's like, yeah, man, I got some serious potential freakouts happening right now. I would really like an angel to show up and just explain things to me. Anybody? Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah. Now, now we're starting to, uh, to hit home, you know. Maybe uh, who was it? It said uh, spending. I think it was who's Um, It's like, yeah, I mean, maybe you gotta buy gifts, but you're out of money. Right? Um, There's a lot of financial stress that happens around Christmas. It's like like an annual reminder of how poorly you're doing financially, right? (laughs) You know, it could freak you out. You know, it's like Christmas and tax season. That's like, those are the two times (laughs) where it really hits us, you know? And we can ignore tax season, nobody minds, but you can't ignore Christmas. you know, maybe you're freaking out. Maybe it's family stuff, right? Because Christmas reminds you of how much family tension you have. Or maybe that you don't have a family. Maybe you're freaked out because yet again this year you're not married yet. Or maybe you're freaking out this year because you're married, you know, and it's not, and maybe it's not going well. And, uh, uh, maybe you have to spend too much time with the in-laws or something like that. That could freak you out. I talked to more than one person last night at the concert, people I didn't know well, who felt compelled to tell me that, that the COVID shutdown had killed their business. Right? And So they're just like wiped out in life. Everything they worked for is over. And, uh, and something about the Christmas concert just made them want to confess that. If you were there, I think you probably understand the spirit of it. They just want to walk up to me. You know, because I'm evidently the pastor. And, uh, and be like, I just want you to know, like, things are really hard. You know, my life really sucks. Christmas. Right? You can say that at Christmas because the story allows for it. Uh, it's really uh, in there. I have so many freakouts in my life right now, to tell you the truth. Uh, I feel like there's just like a, a big hammer over my head that could fall uh, at, at any moment. Um, It's been a tough, interesting uh, few years. But maybe this year, there is a way in which celebrating Christmas requires you to set those aside. Or, how about this for a Christmas celebration? Maybe you need to celebrate in order that you can set aside your freakouts. Maybe that's what Christmas is for, after all. Uh, That seemed to be uh, what the first one was for. I bring you tidings of great joy. Peace on earth, as we celebrated today with the peace candle. Really? Well, God, you're doing it in a strange way. Christmas. Uh, Merry Christmas. Um, The peace candle. That's why we celebrate it in the second week of Advent. We just celebrate that in spite of what's going on, despite of uncertainties, despite of how dubious the nature of the story is, progress is possible. Beauty, quite probable. Deliverance for sure. That's why the story is structured as it is. That's how God does things in the world. The kingdom of heaven on earth is like a miracle in a brown paper bag. And maybe that's exactly what you need uh, this year. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fall upon us and uh, minister to our spirits as Christ ministered to the world in the first century. Uh, come into our dusty and humble abode, to our oppressed situation, to our impoverished lifescape. Come into our potential freakouts. Come into our low status position. Come into our shame. And deliver us peace, glad tidings, provision.